Welcome to Dr. Diaries. Today, it's our pleasure to have as our guest, Dr. Naveen Samir. Dr. Naveen Samir is a plastic surgeon in Sydney. He specialises in cosmetic surgery of the eyes, face, breast and body. He's a senior lecturer at the University of Sydney and enjoys teaching medical students and mentoring the future plastic surgeons. Dr. Naveen Samir trained in Melbourne and Sydney, where he completed his advanced plastic surgery training, followed by advanced fellowships in cosmetic and eyelid surgery in Atlanta, USA. Naveen has also completed his PhD, which I'll ask him more about during the interview. And he is also on top of that, currently the president of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Welcome, Naveen. Thank you, Hania, and thank you for having me on your program. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thanks for making the time. So, Naveen, welcome to the podcast. This is where we'd like to get to know more about you and uh, your journey in arriving where you are at the moment. So maybe you could um, take us through that. How have you arrived being here in this very busy position? That's a very interesting journey because, um, as you probably know, I was born in India and I went to school and medical school in India. And I completed my postgraduate plastic surgery training in, started off in Melbourne and then completed that in Sydney, went over to the US and did uh, additional training in uh, cosmetic surgery as well as ocular plastic or eyelid surgery and completed a PhD in uh, eyelid reanimation doing basic research. And then I started practice in Sydney after returning from the US and then um, gradually became old becoming older every day and, uh, and ended up becoming the president of ASAPS. And that's kind of, in a nutshell, a summary of what I've done. So I've uh, traveled the world, traveled the continents, trained in multiple places, met some amazing people, mm-hmm. trained under some fabulous uh, plastic surgeons, picked up friends for life and tips for a lifetime. Brilliant. So, Naveen, I suppose going back, going into medicine and moving into the area of plastic surgery, what were your major motivators? Look, it's very difficult to say if I had one particular motivation or one particular motivator. And just a few days ago, one of my patients asked me this question, how did you end up in plastic surgery? And I suppose when I was in medical school, I had a definitive bias towards uh, surgery or surgical disciplines as opposed to the medical or the physician-based disciplines. And that kind of showcased, and towards the end, you, when you do rotations and internship, you just focused on surgery and post-internship residencies. You did all disciplines of surgery to decide if any one of them uh, you liked. So at the top of my list were uh, plastic surgery, pediatric surgery was second, and uh, I guess uh, urology was third. But as soon as I finished medical school, I was keen to become an orthopedic surgeon. And I spent quite some time doing orthopedics, about two years of uh, orthopedics. And I worked in uh, the national capital of India, uh, New Delhi, and in a very, very busy trauma center. So it was a massive learning experience in a very short period of time. But then after that, I decided I wasn't very keen to do orthopedics. And uh, somehow the fine, delicate, intricate uh, tissue handling skills uh, was something that I quite enjoyed. And that's why I suspect pediatric surgery was second on my list of uh, choices. And uh, right now, I'm kind of glad that I got to do my uh, first choice. And I'm uh, equally glad that I spent time at the Sydney Children's Hospital doing some pediatrics as well. So I'm very happy. Oh, well, that's fantastic that you've been able to end up meeting all those areas that you enjoy. 
Interesting also that you were saying that you moved from that orthopaedic, which is a completely different type of surgery. As you say, it's not as intricate perhaps as, as that plastic surgery, which is really, really great. So um, during your journey in training and becoming a well-regarded plastic surgeon in Sydney, what were some of the challenges you faced? Oh, there was nothing um, extraordinary or impossible challenges. They were kind of, the bars were quite, quite raised and quite... Uh, quite high to jump and I distinctly remember when I was doing my PhD before I started my plastic surgery training and I was in the US at that stage and I called up the Australian Medical Council person and said this is what I'm planning to do. I'm coming to Australia to have a career in medicine and uh, he asked me what discipline and I told him plastic surgery and he sort of fell off his chair and he said it is extremely difficult for uh, people in Australia to get into plastic surgery and if you're thinking of Coming, I just want to be telling you that you have to be realistic about your chances of getting into plastic surgery. And I said, that's fine. I don't mind the challenge. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And how did you find, um, you know, obviously coming from your training in India and then to Australia, what were the challenges culturally or the way training was held and all those sorts of things? What was that like? Well, look, you don't, uh, I don't think um, there are gross differences, but I think in the professional life that we are cocooned, they're very, very similar, although the scale may differ. But I, I don't think that was a big issue for me to cross-cultural adaptation or any words like that. Because mm. you know, if you're a doctor, you kind of, you're so close to your craft and you're so cocooned within the hospital that you don't really have much time to deal with the real world. And we, in a way, don't deal with the real world in that, that sense. So it's the professional, verified atmosphere where everyone is you know, equally competitive and equally uh, passionate about what they do and very professional. And so you tend to fit in reasonably well if you have a broad, open-minded attitude toward things. Yeah, that's very interesting that you sort of say it's an international surgical bubble sort of <laughs> yeah, where you're so really focused on um, the excellence in surgery. Absolutely right. So I think that that comes across even when uh, you as uh, a locally trained plastic surgeon goes overseas to say, like in my case, I went over to America post uh, fracs and uh, when interacting with uh, residents and fellows in in the United States along with the uh, local faculty, um, you, you can see how, yes, there are differences in how you approach things. There are differences, but I think there's one thing that is common is if it is excellence you're after, people will see that in you. Yeah, that's uh, actually quite reassuring, isn't it? It's not country-based, but it's the standard of medicine and no matter where you are. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, how long have you been in plastic surgery now? I started my practice in uh, 2007. Okay. Close to 30 years now. Congratulations. That's fantastic. In that time, is there anything that you've seen that's been a significant change in how you do things compared to how you were trained on the outset? in terms of surgical procedures? Look, I don't think there's been a major shift in anything uh, that dramatic that we had to relearn things. Um, The best way to look at this is to say that there are constant and gradual and small refinements happening every single day. And that is the nature of plastic surgery. It is the attention of detail of um, practitioners who keep pushing the bar that ends up making the specialty innovative and great. So we have seen constant small things make big differences. And I think if I were to pick one thing that has changed in the last 13 years, it is the role of uh, fat grafting. 
and as a significant entity because I remember, distinctly remember in 2006 when I was in the US, I went to a meeting and people were just talking about fat grafting and uh, how they were trying to look at the experience in France and the good results they had in France about fat grafting. But now if you look at any American meeting, uh, fat grafting is pretty much mainstream. And there's a whole heap of biologics or biological-based rejuvenation that's had more science thrown at it. As a result, it is being becoming more acceptable because it's getting more science-based. Yeah, that's great. And that's quite exciting that that's the uh, way that it's heading, which is fantastic. And the other small thing, it's not as big a shift like uh, fat uh, grafting. The other big thing that uh, we've uh, seen is uh, much more detailed attention to anatomy. So there's a renewed focus on learning anatomy in a much more detailed way that was not possible before. And I suppose that's the non-surgical part of your facial uh, anatomy has made that possible. So people are finding another new niche in facial anatomy that uh, Mm. they're learning. And as a result of that, and subsequent to that uh, additional knowledge, you tend to influence the way you approach problems and solve problems with uh, minor procedural modifications to what is an existing skill set. Yes, this is a perfect segue in regards to that topic, the way that ASAPS, the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, has been able to take that knowledge and share it in the industry. Can you talk me through how your role as president of ASPS, what does that involve and what's your main vision and goal? What do, would you like to achieve? Talking about the non-surgical symposium, as it's commonly known, over the last eight years, it's it's seen close to 5,000 people go through the doors who have committed three days of uh, their time to learn and with an intent to improve their patients' uh, outcomes and patients' lives. And that's something is very unique to Australia because I don't think there's any society, professional society in the world of plastic surgery that has a, a meeting of this scale. And mm. it is truly an amalgamation of skill sets and knowledge and disciplines. So if you look at the lineup of the speakers, you have everybody who is uh, coming from various disciplines. And uh, the one thing that is common to all of them is they're absolutely passionate about what they do. And that's the only thing that drives this industry. So if you're passionate, you'll always stand above your peers. So we've usually had 5, 10, 15, 20 speakers come and this year. 2020 was meant to be probably the biggest lineup to date, but uh, things have changed a little bit. And we usually have two speakers or three speakers come and talk to us about anatomy the day before and then move on to the main meeting. And it's been a very good meeting for us from that perspective because it gives us a a really good benchmark to share what everyone has learned. In other words, quote-unquote, best practice from all over the world comes into Australia under one roof and you get to choose which one you want to use and you put them to practice. And that, that to me, is uh, pure gold. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I suppose, Naveen, for people who may be listening to the podcast and are not really aware about ASAPs and the Non-Surgical Symposium, it's not really a conference that's just aimed for surgeon to surgeon, is it? It's aimed at a broader audience. That's correct. ASAPs, although the organisation is primarily an organisation of specialist plastic surgeons, the Non-Surgical Symposium is a meeting that is open to everyone who is injecting non-surgical modalities like Botox and fillers, 
people who use um, radio frequency and other energy-based devices, including lasers plus cosmeceuticals. So that includes a wide spectrum of uh, craft groups, medical doctors, uh, specialist dermatologists, specialist plastic surgeons, uh, other specialist surgeons like ophthalmology and ENT. You have nurse practitioners, registered nurses, enrolled nurses, and doctors who practice purely cosmetic medicine, your general practitioners who part of their practice is cosmetic medicine. So there's a whole variety of people, plus, of course, the massive industry that uh, supports this, if I can use the word growth industry, who are one large family, are all there. So everyone yes. gets to learn from everybody. Oh, I've got to say that it's, I've attended every, every one of these conferences and it's just so great to see that this level of expertise from all around the world, from all different type of specialties, is available to everyone. It's very, very egalitarian, really, isn't it? It's not just knowledge that's exclusive to uh, your specialty anymore, even though it is, you know, you do your thing, but the fact that you can share that knowledge in that area of anatomy and everything is yeah. fantastic. Look, it's look, and, and equally, we learn from everybody. Every time I come to the non-surgical symposium, I learn more from uh, people, co-participants, other speakers, people from the industry and from various other disciplines. So you said, oh, that's, that's one way of learning and one way of doing it. And I think as long as you're open, you will continue mm. to progress. There's no question about it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. We might touch on that this is a period where COVID-19 is happening in the world and a lot of practices had to modify. Were you affected much with your practice? We, our practice was closed for over two months now. And yes, we were open for essential services, but essential services were at that stage on demand. So I, I ended up seeing probably one patient or two patients a week on an average. And the entire month of April, we did two operations, two skin cancer operations. And yeah, so now slowly things are coming back. And I think from the month of June, things will improve. And even in Sydney, the uh, elective surgery is capped at a rate of about 50 to 70%, depending on mm. which hospital you look at. Uh, sorry, 50 to 75%. And uh, I suspect that if the same trend continues, by July, we should be hopefully back to near normal. Yeah, it, it's just been um, such a shock to everybody, I think, what's happened. But it's, a, you know, in making businesses stop, it acting as a disruptor. Quite often that can make you stop and reflect, you know, and say, oh, wow, am I going to do things differently moving forward? Yeah, have you had those thoughts and have you had a chance to review your business or how you run your practice? And are you going to do anything differently? Oh, absolutely. And I think this was a great time. And I was talking to a colleague of mine who reminded me that this is the first time since medical school, that you've been forced to take time off, mm. okay? Otherwise, you're always chasing something. You're either chasing a job, you're chasing a career, you're chasing an exam or something on those lines. This is the only time when the whole world has basically shut down. Mm. You had the opportunity to make the most of it. So I think that's kind of uh, what happened. And uh, I think we're lucky that the health impact wasn't that critical like how we saw in other countries in the world. So we're fortunate that way. But it certainly made us uh, re-evaluate because we had a lot of time. And I certainly have looked at a lot of things that I normally would never look at for issues of time or other reasons. And yeah, we put things in place. And yes, we are changing. There's no question about it. And if, if people think they're going to continue to do business the same way, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It, yeah. has to, it, it has changed. In fact, your market has changed. Your market's expectations have changed. Yeah. And uh, 
if there's one thing that I've discovered that has changed in the last eight weeks is uh, teleconferencing. If there was ever a need to market uh, the telehealth services in Australia, COVID did that for everyone. You know, they, oh, yes. they, they've saved millions of dollars in marketing telehealth service and the advantage of that. So nowadays, if you look at any of your online email forms that patients send you and requesting, do you want to have an online consult or a face-to-face consult? There are more online consults coming this week as a request for online consults. And hopefully in the next uh, six to eight weeks, things may even out or change. I don't know. But the fact that this would never happen two months ago, you'd never get oh. someone asking for an online consultation or a virtual consult. No, I agree. And it's interesting now that it's acceptable, not only in medicine, but in all areas of business where you yes. would have had to fly somewhere for a meeting or even myself, if I'm running workshops with businesses, perfectly fine now to do it over Zoom, even something that goes on for four hours. People get it and they're happy with it. The amount of board meetings I've had on Zoom now on instead Zoom. of having to arrive anywhere, it's really quite exciting. I agree though, your patient, their expectation will be that because for them to be able to access you without having to leave their place of work or dedicate two or three hours in a day to come and see you, it's, that's a fantastic thing. It's a very, very efficient form of um, um, delivery of clinical care, very efficient. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a part of being at the Sydney Children's Hospital, I'm part of the vascular birthmark clinic, which is okay. a, um, a kids born with birthmarks. And we've been running uh, our clinics as per normal, but on on a tele telehealth module. And uh, if you look at the monthly clinic that we see about uh, 70% to 80% of patients have to travel quite a distance to get to Sydney because they're usually out of town. Mm. And uh, for a family who has a small child to come to Sydney for the day, the logistical planning would be quite significant. In addition to costing two members of the family an entire day off work or whatever, the travel times and other things, here you're doing your consult in the comfort of your home for about 25 minutes. If that's not efficiency, I don't know what is. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think it's fantastic. And I'm really keen to see what happens with, um, you know, governments wanting to still support telehealth moving forward and how that's going to look. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Now, Naveen, you're very busy, obviously, as a clinician and doctor and surgeon and specialist. What do you do to balance your life on the other half of the, non, the non-work medicine? Non-work. Yeah. yeah, look, that's, that's a um, r- very good question because I've got a, a young family you know, and three kids and uh, two, two dogs. So I think uh, any, any given spare time is spent with either kids, dogs or kids and dogs. So I think that, that's what takes up most of my spare time because there's no point of doing anything else uh, because when... That, that there's so much of joy to be shared when uh, kids are young and dogs are playful. Absolutely. 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 And the other things I do is I, I, I read a lot. I don't have any particular mm. interest in uh, reading one topic. I'm just generally reading everything. Yeah, always learning by discernment, yeah. always gathering knowledge. Yeah, which is all, always learning. Yeah, brilliant. So I suppose now that you've had all these experiences and you've been on that journey from back in India to Australia and you're training in the US and all those sorts of things and you had an opportunity to speak to your, your younger self. What, what advice would you give um, Look, I think um, I'd probably tell my younger self just to stay focused. And, uh, yes, it is tempting to say 
um, that things may not happen. But what we've realized is if you stay focused, uh, things do happen. And if you're strong enough and remain focused, you'll probably stand out taller than the rest of your compatriots. Mm, great advice. That comes with all this experience and knowledge of what you've, you've uh, lived through. But uh, I agree with you. If you have a, a, a vision or a, a picture of where you want to head, keep that in mind with all the decisions that you make. Very good advice. Well, Naveen, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and sharing your story. Thank you. Um, is there any other bits of wisdom or key points that you'd like to sort of finish up on? Look, I think let, let's just uh, come back to COVID. I think it's very relevant um, to COVID. I was reading an article in the Howard Business Review not so long ago, and I think the summary statement of that article was all of us have to use this period to refresh and basically refresh our capabilities, refresh our operations, and refresh our relationships. And I think that was kind of a very succinct summary of um, what everyone should be doing at this time. And I think it has a very meaningful impact on any business or any personal life that you look at it. But I think that's kind of what I think everyone who is going through this tough time of COVID should look at and say, no, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and you certainly cannot uh, stay doing the same thing as before. Yeah, sage advice. It's very good. Well, thank you very much for that um, valuable input, definitely. And thank you for your time today, Naveen, and I really appreciate you taking your time to share, share with us your insights. Honey, thank you so much for having me and uh, thank you for starting this program of uh, the podcast. And uh, uh, before I said yes to your podcast, I listened to the other podcasts that you had before, both the uh, uh, Sean as well as uh, Greg Goodman. And, uh, and I said, okay, fine, that, uh, I can do this. So it was very helpful and, <laughs> and it was very informal as well and very relaxing too. So when I sensed that undercurrent of informality and uh, quite a relaxed uh, approach to this uh, quote-unquote fireside chat, uh, I thought, oh, that's, that's not too bad. Yeah. No, it's not too bad. And look, to be honest, I think it's, um, it's a rare thing to be able to have access to somebody such as yourself. So hopefully this will give people a broader scope of people to have a, more of an insight about you. Thank you. Uh, because what I find all you specialists don't have is time. Right. <laughs> if you can have, give us a little bit of this time and we can share it around, it's, um, it's fantastic. I'm sure lots of people would love to have a listen to, to what you've got to say. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Naveen. Welcome. See you. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Dr Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.